Well, here yes. we are again. Here we are again. We are back with our feature co-videos. Yes. Here to talk classic and modern movies for your quarantainment. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, is, did is you that... just come up with that one? Well, you know, I've been workshopping. Okay, all right, fair. You want to go with that? Uh, uh, yes, let's uh, let's let's go with that. Quarantainment, right. I right. like it. We're gonna stick with that then. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're back uh, to watch a pair of films. Um, which, I mean, classic. What is classic anymore? Oh boy, uh, well, I, I don't know. You it know, changes we talk, all the time. Right? I have a Star Trek podcast. It's called Set Uprising Individuals. And mm-hmm. I talk about talking about classic Star Trek episodes. And it's like, well, what do you mean? Do you mean the 50-year-old ones or the 30-year-old ones? Well, Because isn't true. 30 years, isn't that classic? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think maybe it is. About the time that our uh, first pick tonight was coming out, you know, Casablanca came out 30 years before that. Yeah. And I think you'd probably call that a classic movie. Yeah, for sure. When we make, but, you know, of course, black and white to color, big jump. When yes. we make the jump to 3D sense around, feel around experience, mm. or when we're all watching movies in VR or like, you know, reality, holodeck or whatever, yeah, yeah. we'll look back on the 8K, the, the crispest 16K thing you could think of, and it's going to feel like Super watching old. black and white bogey, Yeah, where, you know, the next Vin Diesel movie that, you know, you are Vin Diesel or whatever the future <laughs> of entertainment is, it's going to feel, even if it was only a year difference, it'll feel centuries old yeah no you're right but we're not Absolutely. dealing with that today no though. not today uh we kind of are I, we'll get to mm, that i guess a little bit yeah. uh did you want to talk about your your pick this is the yes. next so fill people in if they if they don't know the okay story. in case you don't know the story um i um have there are some i have a list of films that i have not seen and i've just you know whenever i've been like oh yeah i haven't seen that you know i just Goes down on the list. So it's kind of random. Um, maybe putting one on the list reminded me of another one, but it's, it's a list pretty you, random. Yeah. And the list has um, accreted over the course of years. Yes. This is just like a list that you started keeping like, hey, I should watch this movie or, or that movie. Exactly. It's like, well, I've heard so much about this film. I should watch this film. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, I I want to watch these films. So I put them down on a list because I wanted to remind myself that, hey, you know, put this in your film catalog, you know, to watch for later. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that is basically the, the story of my picks. Um. Do you want to go over your picks, or do you want to save that no, for your No, we're, we're doing your movie. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I guess my pick for, for this time uh, was uh, the movie Rocky. 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 1976. Yes. Directed by John G. Avildsen, mm-hmm. starring Sylvester Stallone. Yes. Written by... Rocky. Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone. That's right. Which... I think like he's helped write a couple of his other films or written some of his other films. Isn't that right? Well, when you um, this was kind of like I think Lords of Flatbush was like his the first film where somebody's like, oh, who is this guy? Mm. And I hope he didn't just recently star in a porno. Um, I, I don't know that story. Well, we're not talking about Sylvester Stallone. We're talking about Rocky. That's true. Uh, but yeah, this is the first one where it's like this is like, you know, his big breakout film. Yeah. Um, won an Oscar uh, for Best Picture and Best Director, nominated for Screenplay. Okay. Uh, didn't win, but nominated. And so if you come onto the scene and you're, you know, he's a writer, actor. Yeah. Um, but never director, I don't think. Uh, he's a writer, actor. That's just going to be, every time we put you into these really d- dumb action movies going forward that are probably underwritten as it is... He's just gonna like hey, boom, boom my toe in there. And just boom, just yeah, what, what if we do this? Yeah, right. You yeah, know? okay. It's like if Schwar- if Schwarzenegger could write, like he just his name would be all over everything, right? He'd be yeah. writing this, he'd be writing that. No, absolutely. Blame eraser on him, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, that was his kind of. That's how he was built. Way yeah. before the shooting and the, the Rambo and everything else. Yes, you know this. Was, he was just a 
you know, he was a bodybuilder. I mean, he was never, I don't think he was ever competitive like Schwarzenegger, but he was a big guy. And yeah. He was, uh, he was cut. Yeah. For the 70s. And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, like a like a Carl Weathers, par example. Oh, oh Carl Weathers. <laughs> I always get excited when I see his name billed in a film because I'm like, ooh, this is going to be good. And I don't know if uh, maybe that's slightly tinged by the way I was introduced to Carl Weathers, which, believe it or not, was on Arrested Development. Well, um, so but I I think he adds a special little something, uh, you know, his own little special sauce if you will um and he was young in this film he was yeah 20 he was 28 yeah yeah uh, so stallone was you know rocky is 30 and, and stallone was 30 uh, when this was made but uh yeah so you think you think about carl weathers just like a institution you know he's but, a guy who's uh, been there yeah he was just uh, just 28 yeah. uh, back then yeah yeah it's crazy. lucky to have him all these years yeah exactly um so yeah uh he's great um there there's just there's uh some great character moments i think in this film overall um and uh you know some it takes place in philadelphia of course you get the 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 famous scene with him like running up the steps and stuff like that you know and of course when the first time we see him do it he can't quite can't quite make it. No, no, you have to you have to bake that in right. early on. Build build up to it. So, um yeah. Um let's and, see. <laughs> and the dog. Oh my god, but so she gives him the dog. She's like for your runs. We yeah, the dog see him go on like that one run. What with do you want him. what do you want the dog to do? Like, you know, know. bite Apollo Creed in the nuts outside of the stadium. No. How do you bring the dog back? No, I know, <laughs> but like she even like at one point like she moves in with him and it's like, where's the dog? Yeah, I, and it's a tiny, tiny one bedroom apartment. So, you, the, and a huge dog. You would see the dog. Yeah, uh, which is so. God. Did he go back to the pet store? I don't know. With, with, with there are knives just stabbed into the walls, and, and then they apparently were just like, make this a real dude's paradise here. Right? It's, you know, he's wrapped uh, the pillar that goes through his crappy apartment in a mattress, so he yeah. can you know practice. And then he's got you know, there's like knives, darts, and, and- yeah. But I think Darts when in she, the door. And... I think when she moves in, he lets her do a little redecorating. No, I must. mean, they're 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 decorated for Christmas. I know that much, and I don't think he would have bothered if she wasn't there. Um, I, I guess I'll I'll rewind a little bit just to go back to sure. like um, things. I guess I knew about the film before actually seeing it. Of course, the the music, um, the steps montage. I knew about him drinking egg yolks. Um, I don't know. That was mentioned to me at some point or, you know, I heard about that. Um, but I didn't really know what the story was. Like I knew he, um, was a boxer. Mm -hmm. That's about all I knew. Uh, so I didn't know what the setup was. Um, so you, you, and I think it's interesting too the way you're kind of, you know, introduced to it because it's like, you really get to know Rocky more or less as a person, yeah. I think first, yeah, uh, before the the basic setup of the film is presented. So you know, it's like, well, he's a boxer. He's 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 okay, but he's not that great. And then you learn from from Mick, the guy who runs the gym, that like he could have really been something. But yeah, wow, at thirty, he's washed up. Yeah, I, you know. Well, yeah, and like up to I don't know the exact timestamp, but like up to the point that Carl Weathers is, you know, yeah. looking around for somebody to replace the guy he was going to fight in this exhibition match. Yeah, and lands on the Italian stallion. Yeah, uh, sounds like a monster movie. Um, right. Up until and sometime after that point, it's just a character drama. Like it's just yeah. about this guy who. Is a you know pure soul and a, and a kind guy, if not cursed with a vast intellect, who is just trying right. to like fit into his neighborhood when you know things are just kind of passing him by, and he's just got no real drive or ambition. He doesn't know what he's doing with himself, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then it's like this thing that sort of causes a change in him. Um, and I don't, you know, I think it's very, it's a, got a very basic structure, but it just, you know, it just works. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, you know, it could have been anything. Like, of course, you know, this spawned, I think it's like seven sequels because there's oh my gosh. two through five. There's Rocky Balboa, which is, you know, technically Rocky six. Then there's Creed one and two. Yeah. Which are all about 
Now he's going to fight Mr. T. Now he's going to fight, you know, whatever. Right, like, right, it's right. Not, it, the sports side of it takes over. But this the sports is just the backdrop of this. It's kind yeah. of secondary to the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I wasn't the, expecting that. And the only, like, theme that kind of runs under it is that, you know, Carl, Carl Weathers, as Apollo Creed, represents but also sort of mocks and takes for granted the idea that, like, this is America. In America, anybody has a, has a shot. Anybody can, you know, uh, make something out of themselves. Right, right, right. Not, not really believing it and coming out as, like, Washington on you know, Valley Forge, yes. you know, at the end. And it's just, you know, it's just about a guy who takes – I don't know if he even believes that necessarily. He's just fighting for himself, really, but who kind of makes that, – that comes true for him. Yeah. And of course, it, re- it really comes through because he becomes a famous rich boxer in the sequels. But mm-hmm. it's not really about, oh, we got I got to train in the snow in the mountains and, no. and push up logs and stuff like that to uh-uh. beat this guy. It's it's never really about that. That's what all the subsequent films are really about. Sure. Like two. Right. Like, I, I think it's interesting, too. We, we never see um, Carl Weathers train. No. Which is fine. I'm not complaining. Uh, but but it, it that was a definite choice. Um, so we don't know how seriously he's taking it. And it, we get the idea from the beginning of the match, him coming in as Washington and then him putting on the big star-spangled hat and whatnot and pointing at him. Like, he's not taking this super ster- seriously. And maybe it is like what you said, like this is supposed to be an exhibitionist yeah. match. So maybe that's why, but I, you feel like it's because he thinks this guy, you know, he, he's not really a, a, a contender yeah. uh, for, for the championship. So it's not going to be a big deal. Like even like the first part of the actual match, he's like smiling at him. Like, yeah, you know, and, and it's not, I don't think he's like chiding him necessarily, but it, it, it's kind of like, oh, come on, we're having fun here. Isn't I want this you. fun? I want you. Yeah. I want you. Yeah. He's just being kind of silly. And then, like, yeah, he sees is... that Rocky's taking this seriously, yeah. and then he gets serious. And it's called, I mean, it's in sports terms, it would just be, you know, an ex. Nobody has sanctioned this. It's, it's really just an exhibition bout, but they do call it uh, a championship match. Like, supposedly, yeah. the belt is on the line. And he's just, you know, he's just here to continue to promote himself, to make money off the purse, and to knock the crap out of this tomato can. Like, that's what he expects. Yeah. And the one thing that I think you see in the later films is that they do a really good job of, yes, it's all about the fight, but they they tell the story better of the fight. Mm -hmm. The story doesn't told real well, but there aren't a lot of beats, I don't think. The whole point is, it's sort of like, if you ever watch the... The Disney movie um, Miracle, you know, about the miracle on ice. I don't think I've actually ever about seen the, that. Um, about the uh, U.S. Ice. Olympic team beating the Russians. Yeah. That game is not well suited for a um, dr- dramatic sort of movie because okay. if I remember correctly, uh, they, you know, the U.S. goes up uh, by two at um, at the break, at the half or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and then the rest of the game is, like, they just have to keep the Russians from scoring. And so they're, like, two, like, yeah, we did it. Yeah, thanks, Herb, like, sort of goals. But then the rest of the game is all we have to do is just keep the Russians from scoring. And that just kind of turns into, like, a montage that ends with, oh, we won. There is, it's not like <laughs> there's, like, a last-minute buzzer beater from, like, the halfway line or something right. like that to, like, for them to win. Right. And the whole thing about this match is that all Rocky has to do is just – last 15 rounds and so we have a couple exchanges with them at the beginning and you know we, we get the thing where it's you know kill the body and the head'll die and he you know goes after Apollo and Apollo realizes oh this is gonna be a thing yeah but then we have like a it's not even a montage it's just the lady that dressed just like the Statue of Liberty comes out and her numbers go from like three to like 13 and it's like yeah. oh I guess a match has been going on this entire time <laughs> right. but there isn't like a lot of story being told and that's no. fine it, it's not important really to to the movie, we just see right. then we see the last round and we see Rocky just last till the end and that's his victory, you know. Right. But it in you know, like Rocky Four, for instance, there's a whole back and forth thing where Drago and him are like exchanging blows and then and the crowd is against him, but then he now the crowd's on his side and the Russians are chanting USA. Right. And then the Russians in his corner are like, No, this isn't good. We gotta get stop this and you know, there's a whole 
story that gets told in the match. That doesn't exist so much in this. Right. But then, you know, you want to know what's up with Polly. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Polly and Adrian. Polly is best friend, who's a character, <coughs> and, and Adrian, Polly's sister, um, who, you know, we, we meet at the very beginning, and she, she's incredibly shy. Like yeah, but he f's the shy out of her. I know, and right? And then she goes out and buys some pantsuits, and and she and looks some great. Colorful, colorful berets. Yeah, instead I know. of the uh, drab ones. Yeah, that's why one of the things that I like so much. And it, the movie, like, it's weird. It just goes to like the character of Rocky, but they they at weird times decide to like put all these, you know, Rocky lines in sometimes. So sometimes Rocky's just like. Going on endlessly about how you have to keep a good reputation of the guys with the guru whore. Right. And then other times, it, it's like, I want you. I want you. Oh, I guess he wants me. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Rock. And so when Adrian runs it at the end, she's like, Rocky, Rocky. He's like, where's your hat? <laughs> I know. He's like, you lost your hat. Yeah. I don't think she cares. And yeah. I think well, that yeah. that's, you know... Emblematic of like their, you know, their. She's she's so focused on him, um, and and I thought it was interesting too. You know, here she's been supporting him this entire time, and like she can't. There's something about the fight, like she hasn't said, you know, I can't watch you fight, but we kind of more or less get that. But then she comes out for like the last round and is watching it, right? Um, so you know, it, it's like she's she's compelled to to watch and and uh, be there to be supportive of him. But yeah, I think you you were right when you said before, like this is like unlike a lot of other sport films because it, it, it's almost more of a character movie, and they're like subtle like comedic moments. Yeah, like sprinkled throughout. <clears throat> if I, I don't remember saying that, but if I said that, it's because it isn't about. I mean, you have a lot. There are a lot of sports movies where the spoiler alert for the bad news bears they don't win that game right at the end, but mm-hmm. they come together as a team and they prove something to themselves. And right. this actually came, I think this is after the bad news bears. Oh, really? Maybe the same year, seventy six. I have no around idea. the same time. Sure. And um, so it's more, but but I think it resonates because we see how unhappy Rocky is as as emotionally uncomplicated as he is. You know, he's talking to his turtles and his fish. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's he's lonely and he needs somebody and he and he gets somebody and also he needs to prove to himself in a realm that his uncomplicated uh psychology can understand and value, you know, the fact that he had had this talent as a boxer and maybe still does. Mm-hmm. And he's just gotta prove something to himself. And he does it. Yeah. And then we're cursed with seven more of these things. I know. <laughs> if only he won. If only he had beat Creed, maybe there'd be no more Rocky pictures. Well, and it, like the end <laughs> of the movie came, and I, I remember I turned and I looked at you, and I was like, "So who won? Did he well, win?" Yeah, it's not <laughs> really what is supposed to be important to the I, audience at that point. I know, I know. Uh, supposedly, this is really based on. And Stallone has gone back and forth on this. Stallone is a oh. self-mythologizer to the nth degree. Is he? Okay. But supposedly he wrote this in like three and a half days. Really? Well, the beats you could do easy. And from what I understand, um, you know, on set, there's a lot of, a lot of improvising. Sure. Um, on set, um, especially from, you know, like Burt Young and Stallone himself. But it was based on the match between uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, Chuck Wepner. Okay. It was a similar situation where it's like 75. So this is like Ali's, you know, he's tapped out at this point. He's been around for a long time. Yeah. And this is supposed to be just like a, you know, just a fun match kind of. Uh, it was No, it was a championship match. And Wetner didn't win, but he kind of went the distance and nobody expected him to do that. And mm-hmm. so you've got Apollo Creed, a guy with a big mouth, showy. It's very Muhammad Ali type. Yeah. And um, yeah. And of course, I mean, he's, he's called Rocky. It's based... Partially on Rocky Marciano, Italian boxer, mm-hmm. and I think also um, Rocky Graziano as well. Oh, okay. Who was another guy um, who had a movie made about his life too, based oh. on an autobiography or something? Okay. So, um, I mean, we never really learn like how did he get the name Rocky? Was that his like given name, or did he just take that because he was emulating those boxers? He's Robert Rocky Balboa. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So That's sort of his kind of his like nickname or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Looks yeah. up. To, he's a hero. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um. 
And like, you know, Stallone was like, I'm trying to think of what United Artists was doing right now. Did they, were they the Bond studio at this oh, point? I have no I can't idea. remember. But like, he brought the script to them and they loved it. But he's like, well, I'm going to play the role. They're like, okay, all right. Well, we're going to ask James Caan what's going on. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. I'm, I'm leaving if I don't get to play this. Right. And I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a gamble. Yeah. But he takes his shirt off and goes, see, I'm going to play this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, that's like, <laughs> save us having to make James Caan look like he can, you know, be a boxer. Right, right. And it cost a million dollars and made $225 million. So who was right? Whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, everybody likes a story about like an underdog, you know. Those are usually pretty popular stories. Mm, I like overdog stories. <laughs> I root for the First Order. Oh, my goodness. And uh, let's not talk about Nazi movies. But anyway, yeah, um, that's who I'm I'm rooting for. Wow. Um, Yeah, no, it was it was it was good. It was enjoyable. Um, uh, And yeah, uh, enjoyed Carl Weathers in it. Did he get the right turtle food, though? (laughs) Too many moths. (laughs) Was there really a problem with that? Or was that just his way in with Adrian? I don't know. (laughs) They make a big deal out of him being a lefty, too, and I don't yeah. feel like it ever... I'm, I'm sure it contributes to him sort of messing up uh, Apollo, but it's never, like, a huge deal. It's just they set up early that, you know, if Rocky can do one thing, he, you know, he hits you. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. he's got a lot of power, and he's breaking ribs on um, sides of beef and stuff like that, and so his one tactic is just, you know, get Apollo, you know, off his guard... And then just hammer him like a side of beef. Right. And that's, that's his whole way to, to stay alive in the, in the match. Yeah, you think that because they made such a big deal about him being a southpaw that that would have been a bigger part of the match. Like even even one of um, Apollo's friends or, or people in his um, who, who helped back him, trained him, whatever – um, was like, uh-uh, he's a southpaw. No, don't go with this guy. And he's like, no, 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 I want this guy, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, you think that they would have made more of a bigger deal out of that, but uh, for some reason they didn't. We get it. Yeah, exactly. Anything else to say? Um, I don't think so, no. All right, um, well, there you go. Yeah, Rocky. Rocky. Recommend it. No Shazam was set in Philadelphia? Oh, I don't know if it was supposed to be like a reference to Rocky, but he does do his lightning thing on the steps of the uh, of the whatever. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Um, how could that not be a reference to Rocky? Yeah, no. I don't know. You have to. Well, you got to go out of your way because it to film. It's there? not. I don't think it's. Yeah, it's not like supposed to be Fawcett City. Like it's not doubling for anything. I think they just live in Philadelphia. Right. So. Right. No, yeah, that 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 sounds familiar now that you mentioned that. Because um, doesn't his like real mom like live there? Too? Oh my god, let's not okay. even do that. <laughs> you want to pick Shazam? Uh, no, that's up to you. I, I've already seen that. So <clears throat> well, I... okay, so your films you haven't seen. My films are films that I haven't seen in a while or want to revisit. And the rule is, it's not a, a, more of a guideline than a rule. Ooh, Ghostbusters! Um, <laughs> is that they just sort of a loose connection in between films. So while I'm watching one film, I end up, you know, talking about another. Uh, what was the first film that I did? Uh, Sullivan's, Sullivan's Travels. Sullivan's Travels. Yes. Which led to Mahal and Drive, Drive, both films that uh, deal obliquely or more explicitly with Hollywood. Yes. And so I decided to just kill this trend Uh-oh. right now with the third pick being uh, The Player. Uh-huh. 1992 Robert Altman film, a black comedy satire about Hollywood. Yes. And the pitch is, huh? Uh, Oh, I see what you did there. The pitch is a movie studio executive uh, played by Tim Robbins um, is being harassed and stalked by a writer that he um, basically said no to Mm -hmm. uh, and frustrated. And so this guy is sending him death threats. Uh, Executive thinks he's figured out which... Uh, writer it is, yeah. uh, played by Vincent D'Onofrio, goes to visit him, visit goes wrong, that writer ends up dead. And so for the rest of the film, uh, he, Tim Robbins, is trying to live his life still, um, but is doing it in a self-destructive way, and the cops are closing in, 
and it's got a real like 50s noir kind of vibe and that's yes. all intentional yes wow you know the opening shot of touch of evil was six and a half minutes long <laughs> a movie that is completely self-aware of itself at every second it literally begins with a clapboard saying the player and I'm assuming Robert Altman calling action as the uh, <laughs> tracking shot begins that starts the film. Yes. A tracking shot that is, I don't know, probably pretty long. Probably pretty long, The entire yeah. setup is all one big tracking shot. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, What a young Vincent D'Onofrio. What a young everybody. Yes. And there are over 65 um, actors and celebrities yes. who appear as themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I think Altman just like emptied out his his black book, basically. I think and just so. Just called everybody he Absolutely. knew. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, receiving credit at the end as you know, appearing as themselves. Um, and I was thinking about it. Fifty one percent of them all dead now. I know. Right? You know, as you're going through the movie, you're like. Oh, it's uh, oh, it's uh, James Coburn. Oh, uh, Jack Lemmon. Oh, uh, Burt Reynolds. Sidney Pollack. Burt Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. So everybody's dead. Brian yeah. James. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all dead. I know. And like this movie is self-consciously plastered with posters of noir films. Yes. Of the forties and fifties, mm-hmm. um, specifically uh, like Mister M. <laughs> But it's the 1951 American remake of M, not the Fritz Lang M, which was not a Hollywood film. Yes. Oh, okay. And so it's it's plastered with all those things, thinking about like, oh, the Casablanca, you know, bogey is passed by 1992. Like, all these people are dead. Now here we are, 30 years past the player, and all the people in the player are dead. And it's it's kind of of depressing. It is, uh, and Robert Altman's dead, too. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, it is depressing. A movie about death. Yeah. Well, Although I thought it was, ways. I thought it was funny that uh, there's there's a subplot in the film, or not even a subplot really, about um, one of the films that uh, Tim Robbins is producing, star Scott Glenn, uh, still alive, and Lily Tomlin still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they say, oh, the director's give, giving Lily Tomlin a hard time. This is way before David O. Russell. That was like. Almost prophetic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, yeah. you know, a lot of the jokes in this are sort of inside jokes. I don't know. Like, David Russell's a piece of shit, but maybe Lily Thomas are to work with? Whoa. <laughs> Let's hope not. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah. Uh, I like Lily Tomlin. Anyways. Uh, this is a great movie. I saw this uh, in high school in my uh, pre-mentioned film unit <laughs> where we didn't have a film class, but they made us watch a couple films that were specifically chosen to give us an idea of the style of filmmakers and uh, one of them was huh. this film so it wasn't a film studies class but it was more or less a film studies. it was class? our unit it was our film unit oh a film unit like in your your english class our ap english like? class okay yeah. okay all right interesting um so what did you what did you think then compared to now well i was fascinated by it uh-huh. specifically because and this is a very sort of anti-altman film like, there are okay. very few uh, huge group scenes where there's just things going on and the camera just, oh, what's Elliot Gould up to? And zooms in on him. And, like, the kind of things that you think of in a Robert Altman film. This is a rather conventional film for him. Mm-hmm. Other than it just, you know, there being tragic comic, you know, it's very serious but very weird sort of things that happen. Yes. Um it's still a Robert Altman film. I actually haven't seen Prairie Home Companion. I haven't either. And I can't, so I can't compare. But this is very different than a Nashville, you know, or a Shortcuts or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I'm, I'm immediately remember thinking, this is very different than the type of films that I've seen. I'm 16. Right, and, um, right. And I remember specifically, I remember specific. so uh, spoilers-ish for the film, there's a scene near the end where... Tim Robbins and Greta Shachi have Harvey's their name are um, they're getting it on, mm-hmm. and it's like the scene where he's co- trying to confess to her, maybe not right. the best time, yeah, um, no, what his involvement in you know what what's happened, yes, and it's like this, it's a sex scene, but it's all like sweaty throats, and uh, yes, Tim like, Robbins' old like, face. What am I looking at here? And yeah. like just you know bebop jazz like in the background and i remember 
a girl in class turning to her friend while that was going on and being like, what is even happening? What is this? (laughs) And just thinking like, I don't know. I don't know what this is, but this is like different filmmaking than than I'm used to. Or that I, I guess I, I, that day I started thinking about filmmaking. Sure. Like how films don't just come out of a machine, you know, and they're just not right. like they don't just appear when they're announced. Uh-huh. Like what what was the what are the choices that are going on here? Sure. And this film's full of choices. Oh, Some yeah. Some very self-conscious ones. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Um I I really enjoyed it and I I mean as you mentioned like there's there's lots of different stars featured in it to to different degrees. But I mean like you you like pan across a restaurant and there's any number of like uh celebrities and everything but but not just that like like the the actors who have who are playing roles in this film a lot of them are people that you know or recognize and it it just kind of uh you know i haven't seen a lot of robert altman's films but it, it just feels very much like you know like uh, good casting choices and and this is this is like there there's a bunch of different actors in this but it doesn't feel overstuffed you know what i mean uh, like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't feel like why are there so many characters who cares take some characters out why is this person here like they all have a reason why that they're they're there and they they are there to fill out this world and make it more real even though like part of this film is Hollywood's so unreal. And they're there to give color, too. Like, yeah. there's, you know, he runs into uh, Malcolm McDowell in the lobby of a hotel, and he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? You want to badmouth me? You do it to my face. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what was that about? <laughs> and then, just for fun, like, then they, you know, meet Andy McDowell later, and, and well, we just ran into Malcolm McDowell. She's like, oh, I'm not related to him. Right, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so always weird, too, when you have a movie where, um, you know, it's it, you've got a lot of classic movie stars or people. You know, Jeff Goldblum is shows up as himself in this. I know, uh, and that's probably the youngest or the closest he's ever been in age to a woman that he's supposedly dating yeah. is in this movie because uh, thirty years on, I know Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, they keep staying the same age. Yeah, uh, but anyway, um, still like him. <laughs> Everybody loves Jeff Goldblum. I think I compartmentalize. So yeah, I think we all I do. Get past it. But, I uh, think yeah. that we all do. Supposedly the um, the sex, and I've never thought of Altman as being like this way, but supposedly um, they had landed on that sex scene because Altman wanted nudity from um, Scotchy and she didn't want to do it. Oh, so, okay. Anyway. All right. Um, somebody who um, I don't feel like she's been in a ton of stuff. Um, I don't think I've really seen her before. Yeah, I think she was in Presumed Innocent. That was like a big role for her with uh, Harrison Ford. But, okay. Um, I think she's good, but I just haven't seen her in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, can't remember what I was going to say. Something about Malcolm McDowell. Do you uh, think the, the compromise they got with her besides like the mud bath and that sex scene is... not wear a bra? Yes. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going. Yes. I, I, think I she, mean, she's very like... I think she's an artist. She's an artist and like she always wears white. She's eccentric, you know, right. so... But, oh, speaking yeah. of wearing things, they... So the, the, the big scene, of course, is the, um, the benefit that yes. um, the studio throws where like... Every Nick Nolte's there, yeah. and um, uh, Elliot Gould is there, yes. and Cher's there, and they're yes. like, "This is what we'll do. It's a black tie event." But Cher's like, "Screw that! I'm wearing red." Yes, but apparently Cher never wears red. Oh, you're kidding! No, so they had to like talk her into it. She's like, "Well, I don't want to wear red." And they're like, "No, no. The the bit is you show up to this, and you're the only person wearing red." She's like, eh, "All right, I guess I'll do that." <laughs> But she doesn't like doesn't wear it's red. Not her color. No, I can't think I've ever seen her in red. Yeah, I, now that I think about it, I don't think I really have either. But okay, it's just like when you think about um, films that are like a celebration of Hollywood, a certain era. Um, I don't know if they were meant it this way, but this movie is basically like a celebration of Hollywood mm-hmm. in the early nineties. Yes, definitely. The and- fact that everybody's like. Every pitch is like, we'll get a Julia Roberts type or like a Bruce Willis. I know. And then they get Julia Roberts and Bruce Willis for the end. What if if you couldn't get them? Well, you just go back in time and then you just, you know, change all the lines to... It's like a John Cusack type or whatever. Right, right, right. I don't think Cusack's ever been in an Altman movie, has he? 
I don't know. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, seems like he would fit right in there, but um, yeah, I don't know the answer to that one. Um, yeah, so although he was in, you've seen Cradle Will Rock. No, well, I have not. That's on the bottom of your list now. Uh, Episode thirty, we're gonna watch Cradle Will Rock. Okay, I'm writing it down, everybody. I think of Crater Will Rock as a very Altman-esque film, but that was written and directed by um, Tim Robbins. So, Cradle Will Rock. Yeah, it's about the okay. uh, the Federal Theater Project. Okay. Um, what is the movie? I think Tim Robbins is in this, where they like create. There, he's work, works in a factory where they create hula hoops. Hudsucker Proxy. That's it. Coen yeah. Brothers. Yeah. Yes, I have seen that one. Um, well, I guess it's not on the list. Then. I know. Because um, I was trying to think of, like, what else I've seen Tim Robbins in besides Shawshank Redemption. And that's the only other movie He's I can think so of. so many other things. I know. Though. But, like, that's the only one that came to my mind. Um, just because it's so ridiculous and out there. Um, it is. It's a weird movie. Um, but, yeah. Uh, oh, I think... Um, I think it's interesting that we never actually see the guy who's writing him all of these threatening uh, postcards. Yes. Even in the end when we hear his voice. Yes. You know? And um, I I don't know. I've seen this movie a million times. I have no idea whose voice that is. I'm sure I can right, look you it would up. Think, you would think it would be somebody. Yeah. Um, but like – He's he even the the guy who's been threatening him from the beginning and like put a snake in his car somehow? Yeah, well. <laughs> in this box when you take the lid off it just like the size come down like yeah. this is you are meticulously like uh, harassing somebody and then he I guess apparently just stopped doing that and was like, "Well, I got busy, I had to write this movie script." And it it's like the story of Tim Robbins' character's life over the past year or so. Right. Um, and he's basically saying, I can be bought for a price. Yeah. Um, for a, uh, a, a director who existed, you know, mainly outside of the studio system for his entire career, this film, ironically, what was this, like a fine line or something like that? I think it was, I can't remember what, what uh, studio it was, but yeah, yeah it was like a new line cinema picture. Okay. Who are somewhat outsiders themselves. This led to like a resurgence of his career. Like he, you know, had kind of petered off after the heights of Nashville and everything else, and, mm-hmm. and um, sort of did this a movie that's just like a middle finger to Hollywood, right? And then it ironically sort of like brought him back, and he, you know, <laughs> I mean, made Pray Home Companion or whatever, right? <laughs> but, and like, and, and it's yeah, you'd have to imagine like I think that he did a good job of putting it all on the screen. And not letting the bile that he must have felt infect the picture. The yeah. one overstep in my mind, the one thing that was probably this one's for me, was the nya 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 nya, nya like at the end. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even. He pulls uh, up to his white picket fence yeah. house with his pregnant wife. Oh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, can you guarantee me that ending and everything? He's going to get away with it forever. And the score comes up and there's like a. That. And it's like, what? Right. I I don't like that. <laughs> that's uh, that's um, pretty far. But that's maybe I just imagine that that's Robert Altman going. Yeah, we're gonna do that. <laughs> well, I love how he he says the line that it's that's in the the Julia Roberts Bruce Willis movie. Right. Yeah. Traffic was a bitch. Yeah. You know, like what's it called? The player. On. I like, I like that. that. Yeah, I know. Um. Wow. And he he destroys he basically like sets up so Dean or I was I was gonna say point from way before, close this parenthetical. It's weird when you see a movie that stars Hollywood stars, like Peter Gallagher is like, oh, I'm a regular guy and yeah. then like, oh John Cusack's over there, like it's which is which, you know. So like when Richard E. Grant and like Dean Stockwell walk in, you're like, Oh it oh no, no, they're playing characters, okay. And they and they're so cartoonishly like, No, we're writers, dude. I, and they're so, yeah, eccentric. And he, and he, his plan is to sell them out. Like, basically, like, that pitch is 
terrible and he's going to give it to Peter Gallagher to yes. ruin his career. Yes. But then he becomes the studio head and we don't see the math that he must do, which is, well, now I got to make this thing. I got to save this success, movie. Yeah. And does it by completely subverting their ideals. And they're on board because, of course, they are. This is Hollywood. I know. Yeah. You, you think that they would have been like super upset because everything that they said, no stars, no happy no, ending. The one guy with integrity died by having his head held under the water until the bubble stopped. Yeah. He died yeah. in the first act. Yeah, I know. Wow. Yeah. And we th- you, you think you get the postcard guy because he calls him the dead man. But it's nope, nope, not the right guy. And how have we not mentioned Lyle Lovett and Whoopi Goldberg yet? I don't know. <laughs> the craziest cops, like, ever. I like, love when they, when Whoopi Goldberg c- comes to the studio and she's like, ooh, can I hold that? And, you know, and this is like a Oscar. year after she won her Oscar. I know. Ghost. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was great. <laughs> um, and Lyle Lovett, it's just like, he's just like this weirdo cop and, like, t- played totally straight, you know? Just maybe a little, ex- okay, he's eccentric. He kills a fly and then he, like, saves it which is just weird but he's a cop you know he's a weirdo but he's on the right side of the law and he's we have this to thank for the whirlwind uh relationship and marriage between julia roberts and lyle lovett Um, oh my god so they met on the set of this movie although when were they when were they on the set at the same time yeah and she is young well yeah but movie. remember like what pretty woman is like 90 91 and that okay. was her that was it that was her breakout you know yeah. I mean, she was in mystic pizza in like 89 or, or 90 mm-hmm. um so yeah like she was probably the name that was on the lips of everybody who came to pitch a thing yep. like buck henry just to connect back to when we talked about the graduate this yes. movie buck henry pitches the graduate part two yes it's i gonna know be weird funny dramatic with a stroke and like Mrs. Robinson is living with them yeah. and then they have a daughter and she's just graduating. So she's, she's the, the new, new graduate. graduate. I just thought that was so funny because we just watched that. I'm amazed they haven't made that. Right? I'm amazed Hollywood didn't make that. Yeah. Unless well. like anything that anybody – because everybody who pitches something is, is, is like a famous writer or something like that. Although I really only recognize Buck Henry. Um Unless, like, part of the deal was any pitch I come up with when we're just riffing here is mine. And then he came up, I right. came up with the, the graduate part two. All right, I'm taking this to my grave. <laughs> and I'm going to tell the executor of my estate to not sell this pitch to anybody. This, <laughs> this goes in the this. ground with me. Yes, exactly. I'm amazed they haven't done that. Um, okay, I'll tell my story about this film and then we'll, we'll quit. Okay. So, um, Right around the time, well, it was after this came out, and I think it was before I went to college, but my family, uh, we took a trip to California okay, um, to visit um, our, our uh, family, uh, my cousins, my uncle, an aunt, but also just to, never been to California. Mm-hmm. And the thing about California is everything that you've heard is true. All the cliches are true, even the contradictory ones. Mm-hmm. Everything, it's effing California, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But we went out there, and for some reason, we were in the vicinity of Pasadena, and I'm like, uh, I've asked for nothing on this trip. Uh, We're going to the Rialto, and we're going to watch a movie at the Rialto Theater. (laughs) So we did. Okay. Uh, It was Life is Beautiful. Oh, wow. Do you regret that? Well, I apologize to my family afterwards, but (laughs) truly, truly the bicycle thieves of the 90s. Sure. Uh, so we watched that, and then afterwards, I got my camera, and we went outside, and we went around the corner, and all of that stuff is not a set. That's all the street. Oh, yeah? Around the Rialto. So I okay. took pictures of where Vincent D'Onofrio was peeing on a wall. I took pictures of the parking lot. <laughs> I took pictures of... It was dry, but I took pictures of where uh, the puddle is, where he drowns. So there's actually a drain there. They had to plug that drain for that scene. Oh, my god! So there'd gosh. be water down there. And I took wow. pictures of everything. Wow. Is there a karaoke bar there? Do That's a good question. Okay. Um, I th- think, I don't think so. Okay. Because I think, I, think I, I looked for that and I, I didn't see it. It's interesting because it's kind of like seems like, at least within the world of the film, because I haven't actually been there in real life. 
Um, but when they're in the parking lot, there there's all these signs that seem like they're for other businesses and they're in Japanese. Right. So it, it kind of seems, at least within the world of the film, that they're saying, like, this is a little Japan. Well, here. plus this is, you know, still, this is the early 90s. So we're, we're sure. still, like, the Japanese are taking over and they're going to... Sure. And at the beginning, Jeremy Piven... Uh, is giving a tour is to giving some a Japanese. tour for presumably Japanese investors. Yes. Although this is like right on the cusp of like the beginning of the uh, whatever the opposite of an economic miracle is, like the Japanese depression that yeah. went on through the nineties. Right. So yeah. Right. But still, uh, big investors at that time. Oh. Yeah, when the film was made. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, did you like it? <laughs> I did. I thought it was really enjoyable. Um, I thought it was really fun. Uh, and kind of suspenseful too. Um, I, I like that the keeps get, you keep guessing like who is this person writing these postcards? Who is it? Um, and uh, but I it kind of rubs me the wrong way that Tim Robbins gets away with it. And man, I really feel bad for Bonnie. Like I feel yeah. so bad for her. Yeah, you know, like she really gets she did nothing wrong. <laughs> Cynthia Stevenson, yeah, um, who's great and is still doing stuff today. Yeah, I've um, seen her in stuff before. Yeah, she's in she's in stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she was really good, and you know it it couldn't have ended any other way because it's almost like it's ironic because we you know it they criticize in the film about how oh these this is real life this is what happens but oh, we got to give it a happy ending that's how it works right and in this they give it a happy ending. But what you want to see is, is him, him punished. Yes. But instead we get the happy ending. He's married and they're pregnant. Which is, yeah, I mean, it's it's so, so it's so good, it it feels uh, too much. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like it, it couldn't have been any other way. Mm-hmm. Once you do it, you go, I can't believe they did that. But it's like, but right. that's the only way that it could be. I So I... And there's one other thing I want to ask you. Um, so he confesses to her during while they're having sex, and you're or never. Or maybe they were just like you know laying on top of each other and, and sweating. <laughs> right. There was not a lot right. of room in that sauna. I had to double up. <laughs> uh, but like the next day, uh, when they're in the mud bath, like she's kind of looking at him funny, like giving him like the side eye and everything. Like, do you think that like she heard him and she just decided? It's we we'll we don't, never talk about this yeah. again. She has an abbreviated character arc because you know she's kind of the manic pixie dream girl. Absolutely, or, yeah. Or what do you, whatever you want. Sorry, Nathan Raven. I think this is the second show in a row, but um, but she's you know she's the femme fatale, but she's not. He's bad, right? And wears progressively darker suits as the film goes on, mm-hmm. and so and she's supposed to be the ice queen, but she's just an innocent in all this. And so I think that's the one moment that we get because she disappears until the end after this. Yeah, that she is starting now to worry about. You know, she's she's the. Um, does Lady Macbeth corrupt Macbeth or the other way around? I. Think she's she the one corrupts Macbeth. Yeah, yeah, but she but she just goes, "You should kill this guy," and then he does it. And she's like, "I don't think you're going to do it." Right, right. Uh, she's the she's getting sucked into this morass. Yes, which they are literally in because yes. we go from that Herb now being kind of complicit because he's confessed it to her, and then the next scene they are literally up to their necks in mud or shit. Right, right, and, and he's right. and he's got the mud mask on like they've li- they've made him a monster. He's literally a monster. He is dirty <laughs> beyond belief at this yes. point. Yes, absolutely. And he gets out of the tub and uh Tim Robbins is packing. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I mean, you know, tall guy. Big feet. Yeah, uh yep. Uh all that is true. Do we want to add a thing where we talk about what we're going to give him a tease for next time? Uh, sure. Why not? Let's do let's, it. Let's, let's add to the co-video um, catalog, <laughs> cinematography. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Here. I don't know either. Okay, cool. To the catalog. Yeah, to the catalog. Thank you. That's what I was going for. What's That's your what next I was pick? reaching for. Uh, taxi driver is my next pick. <laughs> so something light then. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you, do you want to just like... We're just hanging out then in uh, in 1976 or something. Like, I, what do you, what do you, you know, do? I just was thinking, what are some movies I, <laughs> have, I haven't seen? Every movie from 1976. Yeah, I know. 
Uh, okay, so yeah, we'll be right in the same uh, same neighborhood there. Yeah. Um, How about you? I want to watch Freaks. Oh, which they mentioned in this. Yeah, oh, that's my... Yes. Okay, all right. Thanks for confirming what, what the bit is, which is it has to have some connection. I I like the fact that that's such a great... All of the Whoopi Goldberg scenes are so good. And there's just not enough of them. Uh, that one is especially good, though. That was your mother buried. Uh, but yeah, but uh, when they take... It's like this great... Um, this great uh, technique of interrogation, which is they don't like take Tim Robbins into a room and hit him with a phone book. Right. She just, you know, brings this guilty man into this thing. And there's all this non sequitur stuff about like, hey, uh, what what movie did you see the other night? Oh, we saw Freaks. One of us. <laughs> OK. And he, right, he's a movie guy. So right away he's like, oh, yeah, 1932, Todd Browning. But yes. he's not thinking about like. What the, the implications? Yeah, of that and the are. weirdness of the situation that he's put himself in, right. and then she's like, "Are these your tampons? Or are these my tampons?" I know, and, and like, then she's like twirling it around. Right, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's so good. <laughs> and, and it's you know, it's almost like, is this making you uncomfortable? Should I yeah. stop doing it? You know. So I've I've never seen Freaks. I have not. So either. it's it's time to remedy that, and yeah, we're gonna watch uh, the 1932 pre code code horror film. Uh, Freaks by Todd Browning. Okay, looking forward to it. The man who um, made Dracula. Uh, oh, and the in 1931. The, the classic Dracula, which we we watched right, not right, that right. long ago. There's a, there's a giant bee <laughs> coming out of a coffin. <laughs> yes. And uh, you know, which was uh, successful, and he could have wrote his own ticket, and that ticket. I'm gonna make Freaks. All right. All right, Todd Browning. <laughs> Don't ever change. You apparently never can. And so that's what I want to watch. All right. So we'll good. do that. All right. And uh, that'll be next time on the show. Um, say goodnight, Gracie. Uh, goodnight, Gracie. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, soon with another episode of Co-Videos. Talk to you then. Come on.